Let's pray. Oh, great Father, we ask that you forgive us and that you mend us, our hearts, our mind, our souls, in such a way, Father, that, that in our healing and overcoming of brokenness by your grace and your strength, that we become like light and salt to all of the other human beings around us, to the people of this community that we love, our neighbors. We are grateful, Father, for your word, and we're grateful, Father, that you have put your spirit in us, and we are grateful that you have saved us and we are grateful, Father, that you have given us this, this tremendous significance and purpose in life. And, and we pray, Father, that we will always be faithful to it. That we will always trust you. That we will always look to you to, to be not only our light, but to be the one that directs our steps and directs our words as we live our life in your kingdom, in this world, in this day. And so we pray, Father, as we think about your word this morning, that you will give us eyes to see it and ears, and ears to hear it in, in such a way, Father, that we are transformed and changed. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I often get a question, and you can imagine that it's so. People ask me if I was raised going to church all my life. And I respond that it was more like being yanked up in the church. But yes, I, I was two weeks old when my mother and father took me to church. I was an infant the first time I went to church. And since then, it would be accurate to say that about 99% of every Sunday throughout my entire life, 58 years, have been spent in a church building with church people. And even when my heart and life were not into it, I was still going to church. It's kind of like a habit. And it is still ironic to me that I could go to church and still have lost its, its beauty and purpose and meaning for my life and its existence in the world. But it did. And I was lost. I was lost. I, we hear that so often. What does it mean? For me, it meant that I had lost my way. That I had lost my path. I had lost meaning. I had lost purpose. I had lost direction. I had taken wrong turns and had missed obvious sign points. And the discovery of my lostness did not come with this long existential sleepless night of pondering the meaning of life and direction, but it came in a moment, in an instant. It was the realization that I was not only lost, but drowning. And that's when I made a move with the help of some familiar points on the compass, which were actually the words I had been taught all my life by the church people. The words were like this, that God loves. That God so loves the world that He gave His Son. It was the story of the prodigal son, where there's always a welcoming father and an open door. It was the, the counsel and the teaching of Jesus. The wise man built his house upon the rock, which was the life of Christ and the person of Christ and the words of Christ. And then those really profound words found in Matthew's Gospel, Come unto me, 
And I will give you rest. I will give you peace. A peace that goes right down to the very center and the core of your soul. It was also during this period of time that I began to discover that that there was more to God and more to the church than I had perceived up to that point. And it was also during this period of time, ironically enough, that I began to feel the first inklings that I was being called indescribably and inexplicably to ministry, to preach. I went to see the local preacher who, in seeing me in the context of my life then and then saying to him, I think I would like to preach and to go into ministry, gave me that um, kind of that crazy look that says, you don't know what you're getting into. And all these years later, it still boils down to this big idea. And the big idea is this, for me, for my life, is God is everything, and the church matters. God is everything. God is everything, and the church matters. I mean, when you think about the presence of the church, where do people learn the great worth of humans who are made in the image and the likeness of God? It's in the church. And where do people experience those tangible expressions of forgiveness and the triumph of grace in their life? It's in the church. And where do people encounter unexpected and surprising acceptance and embrace in light of the truth they discover about themselves that, as Barry said, we are broken right down to the bone in the church. Where else do we learn about a love that is so beyond our humanness, and yet there's the possibility of experiencing it that brings a lump to your throat? It's in the church. And where do people find themselves breathless at the promise and the anticipation of the resurrection and a time without end, life without death, a world without injustice, without disease, without evil, without a devil, without grief? It's in the church. You know, one of my favorite moments when we travel to Israel, is when we come to Caesarea Philippi on the second day where the headwaters of the Jordan River begin to form the Jordan River. And there on the side of a mountain, to this day there are these pagan temples and even a cave in the side of that mountain that many thought during the time of Jesus were the gateways to Hades and the underworld itself because no one had ever been able to find the bottom of it. And it became a place just associated with the entrance into the underworld. And it's there in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus goes into the region of Caesarea Philippi. And he gets his disciples away and he asks them a very important question. He says, what are you hearing? What are you hearing? Who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they respond, you know, people are talking about you being John the Baptist or Elijah, Jeremiah, some of the prophets. The brow of Jesus furrows And he looks him in the eye, and he says, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, you know, who always is ready to speak, even when he doesn't know what he's talking about, he says, you 
are the Christ. The Son of the living God. And it's just one of those happy moments for the Christ. He says, yes, blessed are you, Peter. For men did not reveal that to you, but my Father has revealed it to you. And on that confession, I'm going to build my church, which is actually the word for movement, ecclesia, that we talked about at the end of last year. I will build my movement of people. And the gate, remember the cave, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Think about those words for just a second. I'm going to build. I'm going to build this movement of people who recognize me as Lord and Savior. They recognize me and they confess that as the preeminent truth of their life. And that movement of people that confess that truth and are connected to me and brought into my kingdom, it will be so powerful that the gates of hell itself will not be able to withstand it. The gates of hell will fall before the kingdom of God. And it began this incredible life for those disciples. Not always easy, not always safe, not always at home. Sometimes mysterious, sometimes unpredictable. Always surprising. Always awesome. Always in weakness, but in God's strength. And you'd want to just ask Peter and John and the rest of them, did you guys know what you were getting into? And maybe they didn't. Maybe they had an inkling. But they jumped in with both feet because God is everything and the church matters. So, what about us? And what about today? And what about our own church? The words of our mission statement, love God, love people, change the world, are so much more than a catchy mission statement. They are an expression of what Jesus taught. You remember over there at the, towards the end of Jesus' life, Matthew's Gospel, there's one of these teachers of the law who want to try to catch him to test him. Ask him a question. Teacher, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And there were a lot of commandments, over 400. And Jesus, without hesitating, replies, Love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. A second is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then in the last part of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, Jesus is getting ready to ascend. He tells His disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go. Go into the world. Go wherever you go, but go. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. So love God, love people, change the world is an expression of what Jesus taught, but it's also an expression of a glorious hope and a monumental desire. It expresses 
the hope to see San Antonio, the city that we live in, the city in which we live and, and have our friends and our relationships and do our work and, 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 and have our existence. It expresses the hope to see San Antonio transformed into a place where Jesus is known in every home, in every school, in every business, in every neighborhood, and in every human heart. It is the desire of Isaiah for the whole earth to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It is a knowledge of God that is deep and high and wide. It is a hope and desire motivated through the conviction that God is everything. That God is everything. Without God, we are nothing. God is everything. And He commissions His movement of people called the church to share that knowledge and to show that knowledge wherever they are. I mean, let's use our sanctified imaginations for a moment. Think of how a home is changed when a father becomes a disciple of Jesus. The trajectory of generations is altered through the influence of a dad who knows how to show those children and his wife love. The Christ-like love. Forgiveness and acceptance and patience. The patience of Christ to his children and to his grandchildren. Think of the ripple effect through family and friendships and associates when a wife becomes a disciple of Jesus and bears the fruit of the Spirit and becomes that beautiful, disruptive presence to her friends with all that love and all that goodness. She becomes like light in the darkness. Think of a workplace where an employee becomes a mini-Christ in that environment, where honesty and integrity become essential ingredients to the work ethic, where emails and office politics and conversations, expenditures, relationships, you name it, all morph as if Jesus himself were typing or talking or serving at that address. My friends, the church is like nothing else because its founder is like no one else. And what we are doing is helping people to find Jesus, to find the Father, to find the life that is abundant that Jesus promises through His love and God's mission. And so we love, we love God. We love God. In 2020, in 2020, this is what we're going to work on. We're going to work on loving God and discovering what that means. I mean, what do we look like? What kind of people do we become when love for God becomes our greatest calling and our highest desire? When it becomes our most compelling characteristic, what do we look like? Well, we become gentle and humble in heart as Jesus was. We come to serve rather than to be served. We seek God's will to be done and not ours. We become like light from a hilltop city through the good deeds that we perform through this city in the name of God. We become generous like God who brings His rain and sunlight on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we love because He first loved us. And when the highlights of our week is coming to this place as a, as a family in order to sing the songs of faith and of trust and of love to God and to look each other in the eye and to say, I love you and I, I care for you 
And we're in this together. And whatever you need, I will give to you. And whatever time you need, I will try to find that time to give to you. Whatever it is, we, we are bound together in worship of God as one body. And not only do we love God, but we love people. Why is it always so much easier to love God than to love people? With Jesus, the idea that some people are loved by God and some people are not loved by God is completely obliterated. You know, we talk about the other side of the tracks. But there are no other side of the tracks in the kingdom of God. The scandal of Jesus is that He loved, He ate with, He healed, He touched, He talked to, He blessed, and He saved people who were once thought to be beyond the pale of God's love and God's grace and God's care and God's sight and God's concern. There were Samaritans, and there were Gentiles, even Roman soldier Gentiles, and lepers and tax collectors and self-righteous people who were perhaps the hardest to love, and those prostitutes and the demon-possessed and sinners and a thief on a cross. His love was so bright and so uh, vibrant that it was more than a habit. It was His nature. You know, one of the metaphors of the church, it's found all over the New Testament part of our Bibles, is that we are His body. We are His body in this community. Which means that we are to develop that, to develop and to grow as a disciple of Jesus is to develop and to grow in loving people. Wherever and whenever. On the road, in the home, at school, at work, the cashier, the Uber driver, the wait staff, the people next to you on the pew. And if you're here this morning and you don't know why, you're not really a member of this church family, at least yet, and you don't know why you're here except that you're desperate and you're lonely, confused, drowning, overwhelmed by life, hurting, grieving, angry, depressed, disappointed, lost, fragmented, or loveless, then I'm going to say to you right now that you're in the right spot right now. Because this is a place that loves people like Jesus loves people. And that's why how we change the world. That love opens the door for the gospel to enter somebody's heart. And for them to be introduced to God in such a way that they say, I don't understand all of it, and I know that I don't know all of it, but what I do know and what I have experienced, that is for me. And as they become disciples, one soul, one person, one household at a time. The world is changed. And we must never lose sight of the fact that what Christ started 2,000 years ago, we, you, and you, and me, and all of us, are participating in that very same mission today. And so we pray. One of the challenges of 2020 is to learn to pray for our city. I mean, we're pretty good at praying for God to give me this and God to bless me with that and God to protect me from all of this. And that's fine. And that is part of the prayer life, is asking God to bless 
and recognizing that God is the giver of good things and good blessings into our life. But to allow our understanding of prayer to be expanded where we are praying for the people on the side of the road and in the, the parts of the city that we've never been to, to understand and to know and to experience the love of God. And to serve. It's not just praying, but it's also you know, putting skin in the game. It's getting into the fight. The fight for people's souls. It's about learning to serve as light in this community. Not to just do good things, but to do it in such a way, as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, that God gets the glory and we don't necessarily get the thanks. That is a challenge to us. To be freed up from, from self-centeredness, to uh, our fears, our guilt, to be able to do these things in such a way that it makes an impact on people's life to the extent they go, who in the world are those people? We say, Father. And I'm going to ask you to give. We talked latter part of last year about the importance of, 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 of the kingdom coming to bear in the way that we think about our material blessings. I'm going to ask you this year to pray to become a generous person. To, to grow in generosity. To have, in the words of Henry now and when it comes to prayer and it comes to service and it comes to our things to have open hands before god but here's the thing a truth we can never afford to lose sight of is that jesus is still building his church and that is the reason it's still around after two thousand years he still resources the church to make disciples Everywhere it's located. Jesus will never let go of His church in this life. Jesus will never let go of this church in this life. This church is His church. It is His purpose. It is His mission. It is His creation. He has no intention of letting it go regardless of how we might mess it up. And regardless of whatever obstacles and griefs and troubles or inconvenience we might face, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus wants us to be confident in that fact that it is true beyond true. You belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. We all belong to the Christ. And this is to be a worshiping serving, dead to self, but alive to Jesus' life that you have been called to. And every day, you and I have a front row seat to what God is doing in this city through His church, which means all of us. Brothers and sisters, our best days are not behind us. Our best days are ahead of us because Christ is still with us until the end of the age. It is a, a church that He is still resourcing. It is a church that He is still leading. It is a church that He is still directing. Christ is all in when it comes to the church. Are you in? Let's stand and sing.